0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac Security for January third, twenty twenty. A Zinga hack exposes passwords. Security cameras from Wise expose some curious data. Apple secures a patent for under the screen biometrics and all the security settings on any new iOS devices you may have acquired over the holidays. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Happy New Year, Josh. Happy New Year, Kirk. It's our third year, technically. Let's see, episode 125. We've done two years, so this is the third new year that we've been together
2: uh on the podcast yes that's true we've got uh let's see 2017 is when we started the podcast october i that's think right. it was if i remember right yeah. yeah yep we've been doing this a while we have and you know we still haven't gotten an email from tom
1: cruise i don't know why someone who knows someone who knows tom cruise must have heard this podcast. So if you do know Tom Cruise, we'd like to get an email or, you know, maybe he can give us a call and we can have him on the show for a minute to talk about stuff. I know he's got a new movie to push pretty soon. So yeah, that could be right. a reason. Okay. So with the new year, all sorts of new news and old news. And, you know, it's funny, there's like this cycle in security news where we see the same types of stories come around. And I think it was in last week's episode, I was mentioning how. You know, Facebook used to be the one that we would have something about once a month, and it turned out to be Ring with its doorbells. But it's this cycle of data breaches and stolen passwords. And just before the show we were discussing, it almost feels like we keep saying the same thing over and over again. But this one actually is interesting because your reaction was, oh, really, that company still exists almost. Um, Zynga, if you remember Zynga, 170 million passwords were stolen in a hack of Zynga. And you were almost like, does this company, do people still play games on Facebook?
2: Well, right. That's what I remember Zynga from. Zynga is kind of famous for uh, certain properties like Farmville, which, you know, that was huge on Facebook. Um, I, I I don't actually recall whether Zynga was the original owner. I'd have to look that one up. But I know that Zynga owns a lot of these games, a lot of these game, online game properties, whether it's mobile apps or, um, or historically, uh, you know, Facebook games. And so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, gosh, Zynga, they probably have my email address. I don't remember ever creating an account there where I would have a password on a database that they, uh, you know, that they operate. But uh, I suppose there probably were a lot of people who did. I mean, if, you've, if you'd ever played one of these Facebook games, you, you very well may have had a Zynga account. Well, I don't think
1: you needed an account to play on Facebook because it used your Facebook account. But I definitely had a Zynga account to play Words with Friends on like my iPhone and my iPad. And the only way to have the continuity across devices is to have an account ah, okay.
2: because it never worked with uh, Apple's Game Center. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess what was kind of interesting to us about this is just that a lot of these Zynga games were popular, you know, like a decade ago or close to it. And, you know, maybe if you just recently kind of started becoming aware of... Uh, computer security, and maybe you used to reuse passwords on a bunch of different websites, then maybe some old password of yours that maybe you're still using on a few select websites might be in this data breach. So that's why it's worth mentioning.
1: A lot of them were popular, as you say, about 10 years ago, 2010. And I don't think I was using a password manager back then. I think they date to a little bit after that. Um, this would have been the time when I would have used passwords, like I would have used the same password almost as a throwaway, um, with games and things like that, because I considered that there was no sensitive data. I would never use that kind of a password on something more, more important back then. Um, but what, what was interesting is we looked this up on Wikipedia. I'll put a link in the show notes. They went public in 2011 and they priced their shares at $10 and The stock went down 5% on the first day. Then it climbed 26% after Facebook's IPO filing in 2012. Remember, Facebook only went public in 2012. Wow. But uh, currently they're around $6. So that was not a good investment. It, It shows that that gaming model is probably running out of steam or has, you know, reached critical mass and there's not enough people interested. So if it went down, um, in ten years, from ten dollars to six dollars, whereas most other stocks have at least doubled, um, I don't think they're doing too well.
2: In any case, uh, there there has been a breach, and so just yet another one, uh, as as we always say. Very important to make sure that you're not reusing passwords. And back then you may have been. So um, this is a, a good thing to be aware of. And as we've mentioned before, Have I Been Pwned? We'll, we'll have a link in, in the show notes. Um, is a great website where you can go and find out whether your information is in a lot of these types of breaches. Um, and you might be surprised what, what you find there. You can even sign up for alerts to be notified whenever your email address shows up in a in a... Password breach.
1: Okay, in another password breach, it's not Ring this time, it's another camera company, Wise, spelled W Y Z E. Uh, now, Josh, you re- didn't really know who Wise was. I remember that it was founded by a couple of former Amazon employees, and somehow they got a deal with Amazon where Amazon kind of featured them as Amazon's selected um, camera. And they're like $25 each for those security cameras. The article we're linking to on a site called 12 Security. Um, it says, personally, in my 10 years of sysadmin and cloud engineering, I never encountered a breach of this magnitude. And what really struck me is the amount of data that was available. So, username and email address, fine. That's, you have to have that for an account. Um, time zones, okay. Emails of any user they ever shared camera access with. And we talked about that um, in a recent episode such as with ring doorbells and with the cameras I have, you can invite someone to access your devices without giving them full access to change the setting. A list of all the cameras, your your Wi-Fi, SSID, API tokens for access to the account, Alexa tokens, because uh, WISE works with Alexa. But the last bit in this list is height, weight, gender, bone density, bone mass, daily protein intake, and other health information for a subset of users. Now this is a security camera. Where is it getting this data from? Uh, I'm wondering if it's linking to Fitbit or some other, you know, an app that you use to record this information.
2: Yeah, there, there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of information in in the story, but um, yeah, that that's some very strange and very specific um, private information uh, to show up in a in a breach like this.
1: Yeah, I wonder why anyone would give their security camera information such as their height and weight. Now, perhaps, okay, the security camera has a motion detector, and maybe if you indicate your height and weight, it's going to not detect you, but I don't think that's really possible. Okay, there are websites that uh, keep track of patents that Apple has won. And they're interesting because they'll they'll show two things. They'll show technologies that we're actually going to see, and they'll also show technologies that Apple is patenting, maybe because we're never going to see it, but to prevent other companies from patenting and using these technologies. Uh, a recent one that came up, this website's called Patently Apple, or Patently Apple, if you're British. Uh, it says Apple wins a patent for optical imaging sensors that could be used for under the display biometrics in future iPhones and beyond. My first reaction is, well, of course, because they're making a lot of progress, and You know, the Touch ID has a specific sensor, and why not be able to do that, maybe not in the entire uh, display, but in part of the display? Some displays have dynamic contrast, and and there's all sorts of things in displays. I I think this is very interesting um, to be able to use biometrics in a display, to be able to use it um, for Touch ID, because there are many people who don't like Face ID and don't want to use it.
2: Yeah, I, I you know I remember talking about this when when Face ID first came out. We talked about this on the podcast that you know there are some reasons why you may actually want Touch ID instead of Face ID. Apple doesn't let you use Face ID with two different people with the same device. So if you and a partner. Uh, want to both unlock a device with Face ID, that's not an option. You One person has to uh, you know, put in the passcode and, in order to get into that device. Um, whereas with Touch ID, hey, you could enroll a whole bunch of different fingerprints, which means that you could have one fingerprint from a lot of different people to log into that same device. Such as a parent and a child, for example. Exactly, yeah. So there are some really good advantages of Touch ID. Um, it, it is so interesting to me, too, how, by the way, that Macs still don't have Face ID. <laughs> I'm not sure why that is. Um, we, we have Touch ID on the latest you know, MacBook Pro, but no Face ID yet.
1: If Apple brings out everything all at once, then they won't have anything further down the line, right? <laughs> so when they do come out with Face ID on a laptop, that's going to be a big deal. Uh, and potentially Face ID on an iMac. Remember, uh, for Face ID and Touch ID this has to be connected with that T2 security chip in the device. So you couldn't put Touch ID on a keyboard that you use with a Mac. It has to be a part of the device. Now, what I've always thought is I'm looking at an iMac and there's that little Apple logo on the chin of the display. Make that the Touch ID sensor.
2: Yeah, I mean, that could work. I I mean, you just need to have a a Surface that is always going to be oriented the same direction, which that's not a problem on, on a Mac. Uh, where it might be on a mobile device. And, um, you know, it needs to be facing the user. Um, So the screen, anywhere on the screen, really is a logical place to put uh, those kind of sensors.
1: Okay, but think about the security implications. You're sitting in front of your Mac. Yeah. And you want to lock it and you want it to go to sleep, but you're still sitting in front of your Mac and it's going to wake up automatically. Mm. So Mm -hmm. you have to have some way, say you press a key on your keyboard or touch your mouse or trackpad in order to activate it. Because I know that sometimes, if if my iPhone is face up on my desk and I just look at it, I see the thing unlock. You still yeah. have to swipe up, but it unlocks automatically. So there needs to be some other variable so it doesn't just wake up automatically.
2: Hmm. Maybe. Although, is that so bad? Like, what would be a scenario where you, maybe you don't want it to unlock? You, you, you talked about like so maybe it goes to sleep or something like that. But if you are walking away, it seems like that would lock again
1: well let's say that tom has used duct tape to tie you to your office chair and wheels you in front of your mac boom it's awake
2: um okay yeah as long as he hasn't put duct tape over your mouth or other places that might be required for face id to work
1: well but it would certainly be possible anyway let's not speculate about tom cruise So we were talking about kids and parents with Touch ID, and there's a thing in iOS 13.3, parental controls, that doesn't work quite right. Uh, There's a bug that lets children talk to anyone who contacts them. You're supposed to be able to whitelist contacts in any parental control software. So you authorize email addresses for the mother and the father or um, for the kid's friends, maybe teacher, et cetera. But here CNBC discovered that there's a bug that anyone who sends a text message to someone, that contact information can then be added and the child can continue communicating with them.
2: Yeah. what? what one of the things that's kind of interesting about this is that CNBC first published this on December 12th. And here we are, it's still not, fixed. We we still don't have an update. Now, I know it's been the holidays for a couple of weeks, and so maybe Apple engineers have just been really busy. Um, but uh, I would kind of expect this to be the kind of thing that Apple would want to get patched pretty quickly, um, especially when you've got a major news organization that's kind of like calling you out in public. But um, uh, it's still not patched. So I imagine that we'll probably be getting some update uh, in the near future, maybe within the next week or two, but not yet. Okay, we're
1: going to take a break. If you listened to last week's episode, we talked about a number of security settings for your Mac. And this week, we're going to do the same thing for your iPhone and iPad
0: if you or someone you know has got a new macbook or imac or switched to the mac from windows be sure to check out intigo's new mac user center it's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your mac intigo's new mac user center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time of course one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install mac security software from intigo to keep yourself protected And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intigo.com today.
1: So if you have a new iOS device, you may not have taken the time to look through the security and privacy settings. We have an article on the Intego Mac security blog with nine security and privacy settings to activate on your new iPhone or iPad. Let's go through them because not only are these settings important, but they can help you understand how the security on your device works. Now, okay, so we just talked about Touch ID and Face ID a minute ago, and that's a really important one to look at. As we mentioned, more than one person can set up Touch ID. Or you can use more than one finger. I don't know. I think you can use up to five fingers. So I have on my devices that use Touch ID, I have my two index fingers and my two thumbs. So um, I have an iPad mini that uses Touch ID. If it's to my left, I don't want to have to lean across with my right hand because I might not touch it at the right angle. So I can use my left hand to do it. Um, also, a parent and a child, spouses, partners, etc. cetera. It's a good way to share a device but yet keep it secure so no one else can get in.
2: Yeah, th- th- this makes a lot of sense. And and it is worth remembering that not every, you know, Apple mobile device has Face ID uh, t- talking about the iOS slash iPad OS platforms. As a matter of fact, uh, Kirk, you were just pointing out to me that the iPod Touch doesn't even have either one Face ID or Touch ID, which kind of surprised me. Yes, the latest
1: iPod Touch came out last summer. It was basically an update of the previous model of three years earlier, but just with 64-bit processor. So it could run the 64-bit iOS 13. There's no other difference between them. Um, but Touch ID and Face ID are not just for unlocking. You can use them for the iTunes Store and the App Store. You can use them for Apple Pay. You can use them for password autofill. And different apps use them. So I use one password on my devices, and either Touch ID or Face ID unlocks that. My bank app lets me unlock it with Face ID on my iPhone. Um, It's a really great way to ensure that your device is extra secure uh, because let's talk about the passcode. When you set up a new iOS device, you're prompted to set up a six-digit passcode. It's 100,000 possibilities. No, sorry, it's a million possibilities. When you think about it, six digits, that's up to 999,999. It could be cracked. It's not entirely that difficult, to be honest. But you can set up a more secure passcode, which is an actual password or contains letters or numbers. And in the new article, I linked to an older article that explains this. Since you're using Touch ID and Face ID most of the time, except, say, when you restart your device... Then you might want to have an even more secure password because you're rarely going to use
2: it. And we've, as we we've talked about before, it's so important to not just choose the six-digit PIN because it makes it so easy for somebody with tools that automate, you know, unlocking uh, to be able to get into your device, and it also makes it a lot easier for someone shoulder surfing to kind of guess that, you know, even if they're. Uh, behind where you're putting in the the code. So l- let's say they're facing you. They can't necessarily see your screen, but they can kind of see the movement of your thumb if you're using your thumb to to punch the numbers. So I would even suggest that you, you may want to be careful about using a six-digit code, even if you don't necessarily have someone sitting behind you looking over your shoulder. Um, it just seems to me like that's not a... A great way to unlock your device if, you're, if you ever use your device in a public place where other people might be able to see you from any angle while you're typing in your password. Much better to choose an alphanumeric password so that you can use have, have the full keyboard at your disposal.
1: Right. And when you do that, you don't get just the number pad keyboard that you do with a normal passcode, but you get a full keyboard. So it can be letters, numbers, capitals, lowercase, dashes, anything you want. Um, When we talked about the Mac last week, I talked about auto-lock and needing a password to uh, re-access the Mac from sleep or a screensaver. On an iPhone, you have an auto-lock option as well. And you can choose to never auto-lock your iPhone, in which case it only locks when you press the power button. Or you can have it lock after 30 seconds, one minute, two, three, four, five minutes. Now, in my case, I have it for one minute. Um, 30 seconds is too short. Sometimes I'm looking at something and boom, it's locked. Now, it's true. I do have Face ID, but Face ID unlocks. You still have to swipe. So I found that a minute is a good way to do it, but you should never have it for five minutes or never because imagine you drop your phone and someone picks it up a few minutes later, it's still unlocked and they can access it.
2: Right. This is a really good point. In fact, my suggestion here would be to try setting it to something where it locks pretty quickly and then well 30 if, seconds is the quickest it's it's very quick yeah, it really is um, if if that is too soon for you if you're if you're get, if you get frustrated because it's locking before you want it to, um, just try bumping it back a minute um, until you get to that sweet spot for yourself because as, as you mentioned if you you don't want to ever be in a situation where oh shoot, I left my phone there and now somebody you know just grabbed my phone and walked off with it. Yeah. Um, do you use Siri on your devices? Um, I do, but I don't have the hey, comma, Siri mm-hmm. <laughs> feature activated yep. because I don't like the idea of someone else potentially being able to activate my my phone with just by a voice command. I, d- I just hate the idea of that.
1: Exactly. I have it set like that too. So I press the side button and I can do anything I want. I can understand there are times when you may want Hey Siri to be active. If you're in a car and you're using CarPlay, it's really practical. Um, but the idea of anyone being able to wake up my phone and potentially get some kind of information, call someone, send a text message, that disturbs me. Yeah. I know, I know it's convenient and, and a lot of people do it, um, right. but I, I don't recommend it.
2: Now, I, I, I seem to remember um, with CarPlay, there was some reason that you might want to have that enabled. Um, was that
1: well, right? Yeah. So you can make phone calls and send text messages or say, say, play my favorite playlist or whatever, but you can turn it off when you get out of the car. Uh, okay.
2: Is is there an easy way to do that, to turn on and off the... the...
1: No, you've got to go into the settings uh, uh, okay. each time, Setting Siri each time. Uh, I wonder
2: if... I wonder if you could tell Siri to turn itself off. You know, that's an interesting thing because some of this type of thing can be programmed using shortcuts. I don't know if that being an operating system feature, really, uh, if that's programmable, but that's maybe worth looking into. Maybe you could update your, uh, your CarPlay article.
1: Yes, I was actually thinking, maybe I can try it now and do it live. But in order to do it, you activate, hey, Siri, and then you have to say, a number of things before it's actually active. You don't just flip it on and off. If you do deactivate it, you have to retrain it when you turn it back on. So that is a bit annoying. Mm. I wish you could just like turn it off temporarily, saving the same information. Okay, notifications. And notifications are really interesting because if you're ever sitting around with a few people who have their phones on a table, you see lots of notifications. And if you have good eyesight, you can read their text messages, um, <laughs> the beginnings of emails and well that can be really quite personal stuff um there there's an option in settings notifications show previews and you can have notification show previews always when unlocked or never uh i keep mine to when unlocked um always is just it's just not right because someone can let's just take an example um you've gone to a website that uses two factor authentication they send you the six digit code and boom it comes on your phone and if someone had stolen your phone and that you had notification previews on and they had your email address and password and got the code, then they're into your account.
2: Or in a Tom Cruise type scenario, let's say you had left your phone on your desk and someone is looking at a security camera and they can see <laughs> that that code that popped up on your device, so you you know you may not even necessarily have to have it in your possession to exploit it that way. So yes, I totally agree. When unlocked is a great setting, um, especially if you're using Face ID. This became really convenient, I think, when Apple uh, made Face ID a thing because now you don't even have to. Okay, hold on, I gotta like stick my thumb or whatever fingerprint, oh you know, uh, over the sensor. You just look at the screen, and when it's you looking at the screen, you can see whatever came in in the push notification.
1: Yeah, that's a great feature. So, Airdrop, we've talked about in the past. It's a way of sending uh, files and links to someone else, and my partner and I use this all the time. Oh, hey, check this article out. Oh, here's a picture I took of one of the cats. Um, But if you leave it set so anyone can send you things, then people could send you things. And we've talked about this in the past. It seems that in the New York City subway, people tend to send racy pictures to other people. Or maybe someone's going to send a link that could lead to malware or something else. Um, you should only ever use Airdrop with people you know, so you choose the contact-only setting. However... Imagine you're in a meeting with a bunch of people at work and you're going to be sharing files. Then you should turn it on to everyone. So temporarily, all these people can share files.
2: Totally agree. I've mentioned before that going to to, to conferences and like writing on public transportation, it always amazes me to see how many people have their airdrop set to everybody. So you would check, yeah. wouldn't you? <laughs> I I have because I'm curious, especially when I'm going to like a security conference, you know, and I figure, well, probably a lot of the people on this, uh, you know, on this train or whatever are probably going to this conference, especially when I can see their badges hanging around their necks. And uh, and yet a lot of these people actually let anybody send something to them through airdrop
1: location settings location information is really interesting i think next week we'll be talking about how your location is stored in photos that you take with your iphone um you can turn off location settings for individual apps for some apps the settings are that it can always access your location or never and for some there's also an option when using the app so for example when i use google maps i want it to know where i am right what would be the point But I don't want it to know where I am when I'm not looking at Google Maps. So I set that to when I'm using the app. However, I like to get weather alerts. So my weather app knows where I am all the time. It runs in the background. It doesn't bother me that a weather app knows where I am. And Of course, if I find out that Dark Sky has been tracking me for years, um, I may change that. There are reasons where certain apps need to know where you are. In fact, you may have an app that does something with geofencing, And what that means is, for example, you have an app that's going to do something when you leave your office. Well, it needs to know when you're leaving your office. Um, So it's an app by app thing. I think ideally you should turn off location access uh, to as many apps as possible.
2: Totally agree. Yeah, because remember, ads and things like that can also leverage that data. So... Yeah, I I, I definitely prefer to leave location services off or restricted for apps where I know I don't really need it to know my location.
1: Okay, privacy in general, um, there are a dozen categories of privacy. So settings, privacy, you have location services, but you also have things for apps like contacts, calendars, reminders, and photos. Some third-party apps have access to this. I use a third-party calendar and a third-party contact app on iOS. Um, There are apps that want to be able to access your photos. Uh, There's also your microphone and your camera. There's Bluetooth. There's your health data, uh, HomeKit, and there's much more. The first time an app wants access to one of these things, you'll get a dialogue. And what happens sometimes is you're really busy. You see a dialogue and you just do okay. And you just you know, assume that it's normal, but you should go through from time to time and look at the apps that have requested access to this data and you should turn off the ones that shouldn't have access. Okay. And the last one is back up your iPhone and iPad, back it up, back it up again. We've got a link to an article about backing up your devices, whether you do it in iTunes, if you're running uh, macOS Mac OS prior to Catalina or in the finder um, or whether you do it to iCloud, ideally do it to both to make sure you have backups uh, that you can access when you're at home or in the office on your computer and on the road from iCloud. Okay, I guess that's it. That's a lot of stuff. You have homework. You should go through this article and check all your settings. And if you have any questions, drop us a line at podcast at com. And until next week, Josh, stay secure.
2: All right, stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long to get every weekly episode. Be sure to subscribe at Apple podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can leave a rating, a like or a review links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.